politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots standing at the ready to fight anew for our liberties to the one and only CR podcast. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back in the house today, Tuesday, October 5th. And where is the army? We're ready to fight. We got the passion. Where's the team? Where are the generals? And the answer is we don't have any. During the Revolutionary War period, the state legislatures actually took the lead. And they formed, through the committees of correspondence, the buddings of what became the Continental, well, first the Continental Congress and the Continental Army they created from that at their direction, George Washington, and they had a revolution. Today, we have a Republican Party that on a good day is out to lunch along for the ride and on a bad day is complicit. And particularly on the issues most important to us, when they're most important, they're out to lunch. And actually not out to lunch, they're downright in on it. So the hits keep coming. The COVID fascism, the lockdowns, the covering our breathing, the lying disinformation censorship, forcing people to get jabbed, blocking the treatments, the genocide in the hospitals, stuff that is makes the, the issues I fought my entire career pale in comparison to this. Flooding our country with illegals. Treating our people as criminals and terrorists while letting out criminals left and right. Worst crime wave ever. And then, last night, Merrick Garland, the Attorney General, comes out with a memo directing the FBI and federal prosecutors to work together with local and federal and state law enforcement to clamp down on protesters of critical race theory at the school board meetings. I want to delve into that a little bit. And where is the response? A lot of the state legislatures are meeting right now to do reapportionment, to remake the election maps, and this is much more important. And they will not deal with any of the aforementioned civilization-killing issues. I don't know. I mean, I'm struggling to get together teams. I'm just one person. I don't have any money, any staff. But there's this entire fake conservative movement that has all these resources, and they don't do anything with it. I just can't figure it out. And I'm going to try to work. If you go to conaction.network, if you sign up for a team, I have enough people to help fight in these teams and help pressure state legislators and school board officials and and county officials and governors and to work on those elections. The local ones are the ones that matter, as as Merrick Garland is actually indicating. But I need I need leaders to help coordinate them, and that's been my biggest problem. So again, you could uh, email at conaction.network, tell us where you're from, and offer to be a, a red state team leader. I'm just going to warn you, I'm not even dealing with the blue states now because I don't have all the red states set up. But where are they? Where is that inflection moment? What is it going to take to induce that cathartic experience in the minds of Republican voters and the governors and legislatures? I thought Biden's speech, uh, you know, the Fourth Reich speech, would finally push them over the top. Every day, as we spoke about last, yeah, yesterday, with a very heavy data on science show, and we're going to have more of them this week. The wheels have come off. A lot of you have already heard 
James O'Keefe does great work at Project Veritas. The expose on three Pfizer scientists that they got to go on camera and admit that they're it's all about money. It's a scam. They're lying. They're putting out misinformation. It doesn't work. Natural immunity is better. We know this already. Yet we can't get a single Republican state to fully chart a new path. It is so frustrating. So we're going to talk about that and more today. Our first sponsor today, Bambi. When running a business, HR issues can literally kill you. Wrongful termination suits, minimum wage, labor regulations. Oh, could I fire this person? You know what's funny? We're told suddenly when it comes to violating the Nuremberg Code, oh, they could do whatever they want. Really? That's news to any business owner. When it comes to HR issues, you're governed by everything. You could do you can't do anything. They have a right to your employment. Except if you want to mandate that they get poison, then then you're allowed to do that. But anyway, I digress. Bambi, that's spelled B-A-M-B-E-E. They can create an HR policy specifically designed for your small business. Typically, it costs about $70,000 to hire an HR manager. They will give you that service for $99 a month, and they'll have the same guy attached to your business. So it's not like you call into a black hole. Um, Your dedicated HR manager will be available by phone, email, real chat. Um, From onboarding to terminations, they'll customize your policies to fit your business it's month to month, so you don't have to. It's not twelve hundred a year. It's ninety nine a month. No hidden fees. Cancel anytime. It doesn't hurt. Let them get you a free HR audit today to audit your business. Give you a plan for free. Go to Bambi.com/slash/conservative to get your free audit. That's Bam to the B. B A M B E E dot com slash conservative. You didn't go into business to play around with HR. Okay, so. You know, I just wanted to start by punctuating the point I I opened up with. Yesterday, I closed the show with the very sad news that our beloved First Lady, um, there's only one America's First Lady, and it's the Florida First Lady, Casey DeSantis, uh, was diagnosed with breast cancer at just age 41. She's got three kids under the age of five, including an 18-month-old. And, um, you know, just, just really, you know, hit me hard. She's been a really good friend. Um, she is a big part of why the Florida governor is different than every other governor. And like everyone else, I put out my best wishes on Twitter. And I wasn't prepared for this, as cynical as I am. My tweet got flooded with these comments just saying that, like, I couldn't believe it, the stuff they were saying. And, you know, until now, that was the one thing that united everyone. You know, when someone gets cancer, everyone wishes good good wishes. And look, you know, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, who's a, Congre- a Democrat, prominent Democrat con- congresswoman from uh, Florida, you know, she put out a tweet, hey, you know, I got breast cancer when I was 41 as well, and I beat it. If you have any, you know, if any way I could help, call me. Very classy, and I retweeted that. Good for her. So there still is some humanity in some people. Um, and I always did the same when it, when a Democrat politician or something would get cancer or something like that. And I just I couldn't believe it. And, and I was sending to some of my friends. I was saying, this is exactly why we need a national divorce. You cannot live together with people like that. You cannot live on the same side when it's come to that point. 
But yet we don't have a national divorce because there's nothing to divorce with. You see, back when we had the Civil War, we had the two respective populations had representation at a political level. We don't have representation at a political level almost anywhere in this country. So we had all these statements from almost every Republican governor put out a statement when Joe Biden issued his Fourth Reich call to mandate, and they're like, this is not happening in my state. Really? Well, here we are weeks later, and I had a call to action with the state legislatures getting into session, mandating liability on anyone that requires it, and barring any federal mandate within the state and, a, and making it a felony to share information with the feds and communicate someone's vaccination status. Not a single state has taken that up. Not one. It might be whereas in New York and California, 90% of the workplace basically de facto is under this. And maybe in the red states, it ranges from 40 to 50 to 60%. But it's done already. I mean, I will tell you, you're not going to get a more hardcore audience than this audience. And I'll just say from the sample emails, a good percentage already had to get it or had to lose their job, meaning they irrevocably suffered the consequences already. It's over. I mean, there's still what to save, but it's got to be done now. I was communicating with our, our Minutemen team from uh, northern South Carolina, and they work for the federal government, and they're totally on the hook. I mean, they have this week, they got to make their decision. This is happening in South Carolina. Where's the legislature? Where's the governor? Nothing. What is it going to take? What it, I, I want to know the answer to that. What do the feds and the system have to do to elicit a response in the 23 states where Republicans control all the government, 19 of them with super majorities? What is it going to have to take? Every time, even I think, with all my cynicism, oh, this is going to you know spawn a righteous reaction. It doesn't happen. Nothing happens. So anyway, last night... Garland comes out with another directive to basically work with local law enforcement to start designating as terrorists and treating as terrorists people that speak out in these school board meetings. Folks, work with local law enforcement. It's a strike up the middle of the plate for red states. Within 24 hours, every Republican governor should have come out with a statement that I am going to block all, all coordination. We have a blueprint. The blue states did this under Trump when the feds exercised a legitimate power. They refused to share information <clears throat> on illegal alien sex offenders. And they would even strategically release them from the local jail before ICE could get to them. We did an entire year of shows on this back in 2017, 2018. The blue states were easily able to make a sanctuary 
for illegal alien sex offenders. Yet, name me the red state that has become a sanctuary for American rights and American values for Americans. From COVID fascism, from all the mandates from the January 6th stuff, they're going around the country hunting down people that never did anything wrong. They could easily immediately pass a law, all the counties and the state legislature. To do what New York did. Do you know in New York, it is a felony for state officials and local officials to give over information about illegal aliens to ICE. And the courts, of course, upheld it. Where is the effort to do that? Again, this is an issue that unites everyone. All the smart you know, writers, uh, even like the National Review types... Oh, this is horrible. I, th- I saw Rich Lowry. He's the editor-in-chief of National Review. He was like, something like, this is totally, like, out of bounds. Yeah, well, what are you going to do about it? I'm sick of the theoretical conservatism. So where are the states? What are they doing about this? It's one thing after another. And, and all you have to do is one time, all the attorneys general... And governors, get together. And this is what we're doing. It would stop. But nothing. The conservative talkers, they just want a talking point. There's no sustained, durable, meaningful, coordinated, righteous response. Where there's see-through and follow-through. Where is that cathartic moment? Where are they unblocking refugee resettlement? Hunting, the FBI hunting people down. The critical race theory stuff now. Every aspect of COVID fascism. Where is that? Where are they holding hearings and passing legislation, clamping down on the medical boards and the pharmacies and the hospitals in terms of what? Denying human rights. Nothing. I can't find a single issue. It's like in one state, here or there, for half an issue, we'll have a thought of maybe a hearing or a bill here and there, but no sustained follow-through. I'm just, I'm just airing with you candidly the frustration I'm having. I welcome all ideas. Well, one thing that uh, everyone loves is a good steak. Did you know that only four companies in America control 80% of the U.S. meat industry? And by the way, that is not the free market. That was done through the farm bills and everything, just like Obamacare created a monopoly for United Health and Anthem. Big food crushes the little guy. Well, I want to introduce you guys to Moink Box. A lot of you have already gotten your Moink Box of meat and chicken. The best tasting, organically grown, no garbage thrown in it. Adam and Lucinda, they've had a family farm, eighth generation farmer in Missouri for, for many years. And we have so many of our, our uh, listeners that have already gotten moinked. I want you to get moinked as well and join the movement that is signing up for moink boxes. Um, 97% of chickens served in the U.S. are dipped in chlorine. It's funny. I, I've, I've been talking about this with a lot of our show, a lot of our doctors we have on the show. You know, why is there so much cancer more than ever? Why are there so many problems? Why are kids off the wall? Why are there so many diseases? Uh, the autoimmune diseases especially. Now, the vaccine is doing all that independently, but even before that, 
And they're like, yeah, I mean, it's the junk and the processed foods. So they will make you the best bacon, the best steak, the best chicken, the best salmon um, you will ever taste. Everyone I've given out some of the selection I got to uh, loved it. Again, um, even even the fish, they're caught by independent Alaskan fishermen. So everything is independent from the cartel, uh, the cancer processing uh, cartel. I want you guys to go to moinkbox.com, M-O-I-N-K-box.com slash conservative right now. And listeners to this show will get free bacon for a year when you pick a box. You order a box, and you could tailor make your selection of the type of beef and chicken and salmon that you want to get. A limited offer, again, moinkbox.com slash conservative, moinkbox.com slash conservative. All right, so... You know, just to continue on this issue, this action item, the first action item of today with the Garland memo on those who fight, I just want to talk about, aside from the action item, that we need to make as law in all of the red states a provision blocking and criminalizing any enforcement. I mean, imagine if every single – how many counties did Trump win? Okay, what is it, like 2,700 or something? Imagine if every red county and every red state put out a resolution and said, we will not sit down with their meetings, you know, because they call for them to meet with the local officials to train them in identifying, you know, basically people like you and me. Imagine if everyone said, this ain't happening here. Go to hell. It's so easy. No one does that. They could be heroes. I'm saying we're not even seeing a press release saying we're not communicating, much less a statutory change. Nothing. I don't get it. But there's a couple of other important points I wanted to make about this attack. I always told you the left will tell you what matters. It's not the presidential election. It's not the congressional elections. They don't matter. School board matters. If in every, at least, red county, we took them over, we followed what they do, we would show up, and it's starting to happen. To the extent we have any positive movement, that's where it is. That is why they're attacking it. They're scared of it. Because if we were able to shed some sunlight on what goes on in school boards and take them over, take over the local education, that's a game changer. And I don't mean San Francisco. I don't mean Baltimore. I don't mean New York. That's lost. What I'm telling you is even in the reddest counties, the jerks control the government. And and, and we actually have a budding movement, both fighting the mask mandates and critical race theory, probably the most positive thing we've had since the Tea Party. That is why they're attacking it. So the answer is to do more of it. But with the protection that we need to force from these people, get in the face of your county commissioners, your sheriff, your local prosecutor, your state attorney general, your state legislator. What are you doing about Garland's memo? It's a very simple blueprint. The blue states refused coordination between local law enforcement and feds on issues they don't like, such as drug enforcement and immigration enforcement. Why can't we do that on fascism enforcement? Whether it's COVID fascism or critical race fascism, 
So that is lesson number one. Now, number two isn't interesting at a time when we have illegal aliens following Kirsten Cinema, following a, a senator to the bathroom, and it's, it's, it's a coordinated. There's a movement to stalk her, okay? Get in her face. No problem. No warning from DOJ. Obviously, BLM tearing people down on the streets, burning, looting, stealing, no problem. We have, I mean, obviously, record crime. No problem. But moms and dads standing up passionately at school board meetings, they're the problem. Again, you cannot bridge that divide. You cannot live in a country when, like it says in Isaiah, like the distance from the heavens to the earth, so too is the distance of my ways from your ways. That's the size of the gap between us and them. You cannot live together like that. When they believe illegal aliens and criminals and Afghani Islamist Sharia supporting nutcases are first-class citizens and we're trash. When they want to arrest people for making fake vaccine cards on something that is unconstitutional, but let out the worst criminals imaginable. You cannot bridge that divide. Where is this? I want to share this with you from American Free Beacon. Um, Washington Free Beacon, I'm sorry. One-third of the inmates freed by Democratic Kentucky Governor Andy Bashir during the pandemic were later charged with a felony. One-third of them, within a year, were charged with a felony. He commuted the sentences of 1,704 inmates through executive orders. 553 of them have been charged with felonies as of August. Could you imagine? You want to know why we have a crime wave? That's it. It's not even so much the war on cops. It is truly unbelievable. And um, it's just, what are you going to do? There were class A felonies, class B felonies. Class A obviously includes you know, murder and first-degree rape, child sex offenses. No problem. And yet, you and I are the criminals. This is not something you could fix in a midterm election by electing loser Republicans. This is not something you could fix with, you know, having more media outlets. You need to self-separate. But in order to self-separate, we need an impetus. We need at least a few areas in the country that we're even crossing swords with them. And I'm not saying physically. I'm just saying politically, where we're actually disagreeing and pushing back. And then it creates kind of a blowback, and they don't want to live in our states because we're, you know, implementing our policies. And then you start that process. It, it, it would, if we had a party that did what I'm suggesting, it would naturally flow in that direction. And you know what? It would be a good thing for everyone. It's sad Abraham Lincoln never wanted that, but that's where we are now. During his time, they disagreed over one issue. Now we disagree over everything. To them, a criminal is a victim. A victim is a criminal. 
a citizen is an alien, an alien is a citizen. A man's a woman, a woman's a man. An enemy is a friend, a friend's an enemy. Compassion is cruelty, cruelty is compassion. Treatment is criminalized. And criminal acts of murder in the hospitals is treatment. You cannot bridge that divide. You cannot bridge the divide between people who will look at a COVID patient when they have nothing left and they want to take them off life support after having killed them throughout the process and refuse to administer a Nobel Prize winning safer drug that's safer than Tylenol but we'll have a 12-year-old boy come in and cut his balls off and inject him with female hormones and call that medicine. You cannot bridge such a divide. Now, speaking of people who dealt with such a divide with, has been fighting this attack on biology and family and faith in the courts for 27 years, Alliance Defending Freedom, a longtime sponsor of CR Podcast, um, they've been fighting religious liberty, sanctity of life in the courts. They're the only one of the only places we have to turn to um, to get pro bono representation, whereas the left has endless deep pockets. So they need the generosity of patriots like you. Go to adflegal.org slash CR. Get your copy of ADF's ebook titled Generational Wins with your tax-deductible donation to understand the vitality of their work. This is how we work together. Again, it's an all-of-the-above approach. Uh, they're fighting for us in the courts. It's just one avenue. Certainly not the only one, but donate today. ADFlegal.org slash CR. That's ADFlegal.org slash CR. So I just want to make one more point before we move on to the next issue, just to close the loop on the Garland issue um, and basically designating those who fight CRT as terrorists this underscores a point I've been making the last number of months. I am in full favor of abolishing the police and especially the big metro urban area police. And I am dead serious. It's not just a talking point tongue-in-cheek anymore. I am dead serious. The police have already been abolished. And when I say the police, I mean all Aspects of local and federal law enforcement have been abolished for its righteous purview of securing the blessings of liberty, securing our safety. They've been abolished. Hence, not only don't they work to combat criminals and illegal aliens, they're actually conduits to helping release them into our country. Domestic criminals, illegal aliens, flying in insane refugees from Afghanistan. We have no law enforcement. The only thing it's used for now and can potentially be used for is against you and me. Again, let me illustrate my point. If you're living in Australia, tell me, if you got to vote in, ele in an election, let's say you had a referendum. Of course, you can't because it's North Korea. But let's say you had a referendum to abolish the police. Would you vote for it or against it? You'd be stupid not to vote for it because the police are being used against the people. Okay, that's where we are now in the country. We have, I, I never would have endorsed that, but I believe in that. It's nothing personal to people that signed up for law enforcement to do the right things, but their hands are tied anyway. They can and will only be used against us. So screw it. I say we, we call their bluff. They don't want to. Are you kidding me? 
the federal government without the FBI is nothing. The state and local governments without police, you know, your tyrannical mayor or governor, he's nothing but a raving lunatic that has no power without a police force. I don't want Afghanistan. I don't want chaos. I want ordered liberty. But if that's not an option on the menu, which it clearly no longer is, then I'd rather have Afghanistan than North Korea. I'd rather, you know, try my luck with faith in God and prayer and my own strategies and my own self-defense rather than dealing with this, which is a police force that's not there to protect us. But if we engage in self-defense, like that South Carolina case, that soldier that is going to get dishonorably discharged and got charged with assaulting a black assailant who is terrorizing the women in the neighborhood. They're going to prevent us from doing self-defense. They're going to come after us, the January 6th dynamic, the criminalization of politics, the criminalization of the First Amendment. Screw them. Abolish them altogether. And that's just the way it is. Okay, so let's move on to a couple other issues here. But again, in the same theme here, that on every one of them, really every one of them, states have a perfect opportunity to push back. We're not talking about Iran and diplomacy and foreign policy. There's nothing that's more state-oriented than refugee resettlement. Now, I know you might think, well, that's very international, but they have to dump them somewhere. And states need to stand up and say, you are not dumping in social transformation without representation. That the people never voted for this, and you just bring in carte blanche all these people from Afghanistan. Where do you think they're going from the military bases? Do you think they're going to stay there forever? No. They're coming to your community. This is from CNN. Refugee groups raced to find housing for 53,000 Afghan evacuees. And they talk about it's very hard because the market is already very strained and expensive. The housing market that is, they can't find. The frenzied evacuation of Afghans from Afghanistan has turned the process on its head with agencies trying to find housing. And, um, you know, they quote the different horrors that work for government agencies. And they talk about how they get, you know, several billion dollars, uh, whatever, to to engage in this stuff that it costs – the federal government provides them with like 2275 for each Afghan an agency serves. Free money. And then there's a line, the other bulk of the money is used to cover administrative costs. Yeah, I mean, these, these whorish fiends that run these organizations, they make hundreds of thousands of dollars off of off of the rope we pay to hang ourselves with. So they get to use that to induce social transformation without representation. Um, we're also cognizant. This is from uh, one of the contractors quoted, I think Lutheran Immigration and Refugee Services. We're also cognizant of the fact that if we move people off too quickly before we have adequate housing and the other wraparound services, <laughs> a.k.a. welfare, that people need set up, Uh, they end up in a situation where they don't succeed from the start in their new homes. What they mean is that they can't, like, pick a place and literally dump, like, several thousand in one shot because people will notice it. So they have to do it in a way people don't notice. So, again, I mean, states need to say we are not cooperating with this. If blue states could say we are harboring sex offenders and terrorists, we could say we're not. 
They can't violate the Constitution a hundred times over, and the states are like, there's nothing we can do. And then when we control the federal government and the blue states are like, they do what we want, I'm like, there's nothing we can do. A state could do what they want. It's all about political will. So that's another big action item that we need all of our strike force teams to get involved in. Flood your state legislators, your attorney general, your governor. We are not taking in 100,000, God knows how many. And then, and then you can't imagine the chain migration that's going to induce. Guess what? They get a green card right away. Guess what happens in a few years? They all get to bring in an unlimited number of family members as well. And then that's, you know, I mean, th- there's nothing left. And again, they're, they're, they're putting them recently in places like the Dakotas and Idaho. They're not stupid. The left. They're not just seating them in New York and San Francisco. And in fact, they're often doing it per capita much more in red areas. They're doing that for a reason. But then again, we supposedly have control in those areas and we do nothing about it. Absolutely nothing about it. So I want to get back to the COVID fascism. That's that's another action item, as always. Okay? Why not force any employer? Michelin is one of the ones doing this. Okay, you're going to take on liability, right? I was speaking with Ryan Cole yesterday, and this is a very important thing. And I'm going to try to get some more details of a how to do, do this, you know, how to get a write-up to order a blood panel. But what he's advising is those of you who are deciding that you have no choice but to get the shot, to at least get a, your baseline levels checked in a blood panel. Um, so it's a lot of things you want to check. You're going to want to get a D-dimer. So that will check, you know, for microclotting, um, and especially after the, the, the one you get after the shot, a few weeks afterwards. Um, there's a lot of important things that I'm not smart enough to talk about, and I'll, I'll have one of the doctors on to guide you on this in the coming days. But one of the important things are the CD8 cells. Okay, those are the killer cells that are getting depleted they're getting depleted as a result of the shots and those cells not only protect against viruses and autoimmune diseases which is why we're seeing them but cancer as well and we don't have uniform data on this but there's a lot of concern among people seeing this that they're seeing more aggressive cancer prop up And logically, it makes a lot of sense. And again, this is what was seen 9 to 12 months into the animal trials of the SARS-1 vaccines, which is why back when our government had a modicum of integrity and wasn't genocidal, even if they were somewhat corrupt and lust of money, but there was a limit to what they would do, and they, they scuttled the vaccines, and they basically said that it's too hard to ever produce a coronavirus vaccine. But don't worry, they cracked the code this time. Oh, whoops, they didn't crack the code. This is from Trial Site News. Explosion of breakthrough cases and deaths in Vermont over the past couple months. So Vermont did everything right. You know, they did the mask and they did the lockdown and they did their vaccination rate as of now is 71%. And again, as I've noted, when you're at 71%, that what that essentially means is 100% of seniors and, you know, really 90% of most adult categories. 
Um, they, I mean, that is that is virtual. Any vaccine that would be herd immunity right there. You know, even even if no one had, even if nobody had prior infection, um, in, in, a, in a vaccine that worked, that's that's that would be the goal. Here is the data they have from there. The Vermont Department of Health released a report titled Vermont COVID-19 Data Summary Reflecting Cases Identified Between March 5th, 2020 and September 22nd of 2021. And basically what TrialSite did is they took a sampling of the data through just of like the last month. Okay, the last month from August 25th to September 22nd. That's the last month data period. Last full month data period, whatever, that's just their cutoff. So it's about four weeks. Out of all COVID-19 cases, breakthrough infections represented 33% of total cases. Now you might say, well, Daniel, that's that's kind of light, you know, because in some places, like we talked about yesterday, it was the overwhelming majority. It was actually even greater than their share. But here's the interesting thing: there were 33 percent of total cases, but they were 74 percent of the deaths. Now, by the end of that period, the state was up to 71 percent vaccinated. But, you know, at the beginning, it was in the 60s. But throughout the entire period, that four-week window, 74% of the deaths were vaccinated. And what that means is, as I've been warning for the last few months, even the protection against mortality has worn off. I said it will wear off because I, I, I'm, not, I'm not a prophet. I know they call me the prophet of woe and lamentation, but I looked at Israel, and Israel did the studies. They went through when people were vaccinated. And by the way, there's a lot of more data out now, as I predicted. It's both the variants, the mutations, and the duration. So what that means is, as I noted, so you might say, okay, I'll get a booster, forgetting about all the side effects and unknown things that it causes, but, and I'll get another five months on the clock. No, that, that, that doesn't apply anymore. We don't know how much, if any, it will even give you. But what we do know is certainly in the first few weeks after, between the first shot and two weeks after the second shot, you're really at risk for getting COVID more than ever. 74. So at a minimum, it shows that there's zero efficacy in places that vaccinated earlier, like Vermont, in terms of even protection for mortality. And it raises a question... Are we headed into ADE? Are we headed into where it's now worse among the vaccinated? Um, UncoveredDC.com. UncoveredDC.com. It's a, it's a very good website. They pulled a, 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 a Department of Defense paper. There's a program called Project Salus, right? S-A-L-U-S. They analyzed data on 5.6 million Medicare beneficiaries. Okay, so we're seeing the reimbursements, what the codes are, you know, what elements they have. And what they were able to glean from there is that most COVID-19 hospitalizations 
are among the fully vaccinated patients, with numbers increasing as the weeks go on. Basically, it was in cooperation with the Joint Artificial Intelligence Center. The study was presented by DOD partner Humetrics. Um, Robert Malone was talking about this. And it really does show some degree of antibody-dependent enhancement. It's unbelievable. It's very, very concerning. So 16 million of the subjects of this analysis were Medicaid patients over the age of 65. The study data consists of 5.6 million vaccinated Medicare beneficiaries from January to August. Of the study group, 2.7 million individuals received the Pfizer jab and 2.9 received Moderna. So it's pretty evenly distributed. Out of the 161,000 so-called breakthrough infections, they observed 33,000 hospitalizations and 10,400 breakthrough ICU admissions. This is dating back to January when it was fresh. Okay? That's not a good ratio there. I mean... You do the math there, 33 out of 161, you know, that's like one-fifth. That's like a 20% hospitalization rate. That ain't good. Okay? Right, so that's more than just a cold or a flu. Much less asymptomatic breakthrough. But the important thing is, is that you see a sliding scale that it goes as time goes on, after three to four months, it, it, it really wanes. Breakthrough infection rates five to six months post-vaccination are twice as high as three to four months post-vaccination. It just, it just rapidly decelerates. Um, and slide 10 concludes that age has a minor contribution to the reduced vaccine protection. So as I predicted, it's not even so much the, the fact that oh, it's only seniors, it's, it's just that the seniors got vaccinated earlier. The main thing is it wears off. Because again, it's not a vaccine. Okay? Its mechanism, through all its dangers and producing the spike after all the, God, we don't even know the autoimmune, the cancer, the neurological problems, the blood disorders, um, the aging, the questions, does it age you? I mean, and, and this is not just like, you know, speculation. There's a lot of important, you know, information dating back to when they originally tried with coronavirus and the animal trials. And then what we're starting to see and the VAERS reporting. And, you know, it all jives together. And when you understand the mechanisms of action and the science behind it, it's not random. But even after all that, it just dumps a bunch of antibodies into you like a sugar high. That's not how immunity works. And then it just wanes. So, basically, as, as this thing increased, the study reveals that by August, 71% of all COVID-19 cases were in vaccinated individuals. Yes, yes, I get it. Among people over 65, what's the vaccination rate? Was it close to, closer to 85, 90? But still, that's August. We're now, you know, a month and a half later. Where are we going to be in, in two, three weeks from now? It essentially has worn off for most people 
at this point. But you know what comes with that. It's the question of, does it make it worse? Does it make it worse? That is the 800-pound gorilla in the room. It is so, so sad. So, so sad. But we know what could have worked. We know what could have worked. We have, as I noted yesterday, we have so many things that work. Just the nasal spray alone, if everyone would do that every day. I actually have to remind myself I forgot to do it before I went to sleep last night. I was so tired. I'll have to do it now after the show. By the way, oh, I want to tell you, I forgot. Um, Again, just so you know, love me or hate me, you know I speak from the heart. And I don't make pretend. So whatever I advise, I'm actually doing. So thank you, Ryan Cole, because he was the first one really to get me onto this. Taking 5,000 IUs a day of vitamin D, my D levels, I got them back at 66.6. So very high, um, really almost optimal level. The optimal is kind of around that 60 to 70 range. Um, You want to ideally get over 50 um, and certainly make sure you're not below 40. And below 30 is danger zone. But I could tell you I was undoubtedly much, much lower. I mean, thank God I'm young and healthy, so my absorption is probably very good once I was taking it. Um, and it probably, you know, went quicker for me than it would, you know, someone with more issues or someone who's older than me. But still, I was definitely lower because all I'm doing is fighting the fight on my computer and microphone all day. I don't, from Monday through Friday, I literally, there are days where I don't see the open air. I know it's really unhealthy and I got to stop that, but. You know, it definitely helped me, um, and it is just, again, we have 113 studies showing that that number matters so, so much in terms of, you know, when this virus hits you. So thank you, Ryan, for for that advice. But I just want to end by sharing a story here. You know, um, we, we, we've had cases of patients that they had to sneak in ivermectin, find creative ways. Someone told me they were only allowing eyeglass cases. Like like you, like you uh, They came to the hospital without glasses, so you could give them their glasses. So they put in the case ivermectin pills. Okay? That's how dire it is now. Um, there was a case where Recently, one of the doctors told me they had uh, a, a relative that wouldn't take their advice, and you know they were vaccinated. They got COVID. Like, no, nah, I don't want to take it. Their stupid doctor said that he saw so many people die from ivermectin. <laughs> just they just make it up. So they were terrified. He got bad. He got hospitalized. Got sick. Big problem. And then he was scared. So then the wife was like, "All right, we got to do this." And they, 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 um, because some of you have asked me, could you crush it up? And I think the answer is yes. Um, they, they disintegrated it into Gatorade and they were able to get a nurse to pass in the Gatorade bottle, not knowing what was in it. And within four hours, the guy was better. And again, when I say better, I don't mean like, 
you know, those of you who get a very, especially if you get a very mild case and you get a little bit of a cough and cold and some fever, I can't guarantee you take some ivermectin and like, you know, the fever won't linger. The fe Especially on this iteration, the fever kind of like seems to linger. Um, you really shouldn't be getting 104 fever for, for several days after taking ivermectin. That would surprise me. But the lingering 100, 101, I've seen that. But in terms of like the cytokine storm and the real bad stuff, it really is, um, I'm getting very good feedback, even with this iteration at that late stage, um, reversing the cytokine storm to at least a manageable, uh, you know, when you just don't feel like you're gonna die. So anyway, I wanna read this to you, a story from this doctor, and it was posted by Brian Peckford a, a former premier of Newfoundland. He has a, a blog called Peckford 42, and he posted a story about this Dr. Nag Nagas, or Nagase. Um, Dr. Daniel Nagase, he's a doctor in Alberta. I started on Saturday morning in the ER, and when it came time to round on the word patients, the charge nurse informed me that three of the patients on the COVID wing had deteriorated overnight. All the patients were on oxygen and extremely short of breath. The only medication these patients were on were steroids, a medication that will decrease inflammation but increase the chance of bacterial infection by suppressing the immune system. Um, and I would just add in, that's why you need, if you're on a steroid, you need the antibiotics as well. And I don't know if they were getting it. But one woman said it felt like we just put her in a corner to die. We weren't doing anything for her. I told her I can't speak for the usual doctors during the week, but it's the weekend and I'll do everything I can to help. I offered ivermectin. Basically, they all wanted to take it. The hospital didn't have any, so we had to ask Red Deer Hospital Central Pharmacy for the medication. They refused. Red Deer Central Pharmacist said ivermectin was useless. Um, he even had the pharmacy director for all of Alberta contact me to tell me ivermectin didn't work. The pharmacy director of Alberta Health Services is Dr. Gerald uh, Lazarenko. Um, <clears throat> remember that that name. He is both a pharmacist and a doctor, and he instead he, he insisted that ivermectin had no place in the treatment of COVID. We checked with local pharmacists. God bless the change nurse. Although both pharmacies in town did not have ivermectin, there was a, one pharmacist who would do everything he could. Um, we didn't have all day. My patients were sick, so I started everyone on the best, the next best thing, hydroxychloroquine which the hospital did had. I also started vitamin C, vitamin D, and zinc. And and again, I just want to note that just dumping regular run-of-the-mill C, D, and zinc at that late stage, you know, you should do it anyway, but you can't count on that. Um, you know, you got to come in with, with the heavy-duty steroids, methylpred, and obviously the ivermectin, the androgen blockers, phenofibrate, um, things like that. you got to dump... Um, active D into them. The vitamin C has to be vitamin C infusions. There's another thing called, and this I'm not reading this. This is me speaking here. There's something called ozone therapy where they cycle out your blood. I have doctors that swear by it. Um, it was used for other things, and it's, it's almost like a cultish following behind it. But a lot of doctors who are very suspicious of it, they tried it with COVID, like, oh my gosh, this thing works. Um, there's a doctor in Pensacola um, who swears by it. I might have her on the show one day. So... A lot of interesting things going on with that. Um, he did push some inhalers, and he gave them azithromycin. 
Surprisingly, by late afternoon, the town pharmacist finally found some ivermectin. He couldn't get it from his usual chemical supply because it was Saturday. He had to get it from an agricultural supply. He checked to make sure that it was the exact same ivermectin and yada, yada. I handed ivermectin to each of my three patients with their exact dose of according to their weight. And you'll never guess what happened next. Within hours of getting ivermectin, I got a call from the Central Zone Medical Director, Dr. Jennifer Bastard. Sorry, it's Bastard. I mean, it's spelled with an E at the beginning, but otherwise the same letters. She called me to tell me I was forbidden from giving ivermectin to patients. I told her she's never met the patients. She's not their doctor and had no right to be changing their care. Um, she said ivermectin was forbidden from the hospital, even if the patients had their own ivermectin. Um, patients would not be allowed to take their own ivermectin. She said it was a violation of Alberta Health Services policy, but that wasn't good enough. The next day, she called the hospital and gave me 15 minutes notice that I would be relieved of my duties. I told her that it was unreasonable. I had an emergency department full of patients who can't be sorted out in 15 minutes. An hour later, another local doctor came to replace me. They didn't even want me to check up on the patients who I gave ivermectin to. Not even 24 hours after getting ivermectin, two of my three patients were almost completely better. They were out of bed walking around, and all the crackles I heard in their lungs from the day before were gone. All it took was about 18 hours and one dose of ivermectin. The third patient, who was 95 years old, stayed the same. She didn't get any worse like she had done the night before, so it had kind of arrested it. Again, that was one dose, 95-year-old. I found out later that no sooner had I left um, Rimby Hospital, the next doctor who came to replace me stopped the antibiotics, stopped all the vitamins. She even stopped the patient's inhalers. I feel like crying. Jesus. Within hours of my leaving the hospital, this doctor even took away the patient's inhalers to help her breathe. The patients were not even allowed vitamins. I, I can't, I can't, um, I can't. I mean, it goes on and on. I mean, it's longer. You should check the whole thing out at... Heckford 42 blog. Um, folks, this is not just Canada and Australia. This is going on in all 50 states of the United States, including red states. I don't have time, but I was going to play. I'll play it tomorrow. A pulmonary nurse in South freaking Carolina. Um, they did have a Senate testimony. So he gave testimony. So, but again, there's no follow up. We are killing people in hospitals. And again, if you would do this stuff outpatient, they wouldn't even get there. But they're making sure people can't get it. It is the biggest scandal in American history. It is the most genocidal thing that has ever been done in Western countries. It's not right. It's not left. It's not. A, it doesn't matter what your politics are. There's nothing right wing about about inhalers and steroids and ivermectin. There's. No, I mean, this is senseless. What they are doing. Where are the hearings? Where is the follow-through? Where are the governor's orders? Where are the state attorneys general? I talked about Jeff Landry, attorney general of Louisiana. I'm not seeing a single other one follow up with that going after the pharmacy boards. We are all alone. We have nobody but God. Please, God, please evacuate us from this circumstance. Send your savior. Send your salvation. Open up that light in the dark tunnel. So we can find some avenue, some avenue to save people, to live with some modicum of life and, and liberty, property rights, human body rights. Please let this end. You're all we have, God. But you are everything. You are all. You're capable of doing everything. You're capable of turning our authoritarian government around within a day, 
they're like putty in your hands. They're like molded pottery in the hands of a potter. You could do anything. We pray and beg for your guidance. And let us say amen, folks. That's it for today. Pray for, you know, just everything, a better outcome. Pray for our health. Pray for our liberty. Sign up at conaction.network if you could be a team leader in a red state to help coordinate states. I'm going to try to get on this. I know I'm several months behind. Hopefully, at least we could have enough red state teams up for January when the legislatures meet again. I mean, I not having luck on the special sessions. And and send me any ideas. I humbly submit. I I give more ideas than I think anyone who has a microphone on the right. But this this problem is much greater than any any one person, any one item, any one idea. So send this show to every one of your friends and relatives. Please give us a five-star rating on iTunes just so this gets around more. That's all I want. I don't need money. I just need truth. Until tomorrow, God bless you all. And thank you for listening.